Hello there. Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Ed Draper here, sports broadcaster in the UK, primarily with Sky Sports on a national basis. Thank you for coming on and joining the podcast, hitting on the button. Thank you also to the sponsors of the podcast, lead sponsors. Really appreciate their support. Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Thanks also to Cytoplan, supplement company, food-based supplements, digested as close to as possible as food would be. That's the idea. And with the podcast, they've generously offered us a discount on the point of purchase, 30% off, 10% thereafter. So if you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, at discount, the code is DRAPER10R. My last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. And also thank you to the Whole Man Academy for offering us a free, 100% free mentoring session with Anthony Asprey. Now, by the end of the session, you'll be much clearer on how to tackle any issues or challenges you're going through, especially if you ever feel stuck or not exactly where you want to be in life. As I said, I've had some seminal conversations with professionals that I've paid for in the past that have clarified matters for me. And she's kind of a spiritual woman, actually did a bit of neuro-linguistic programming last time for me that clarified a few matters, but I think it certainly can point you in the right direction, just having someone to act as a sounding board. And Anthony is a professional doing this as a company through Whole Man Academy, supporting men across the world, but giving that free session away is powerful. We only have five of them to give away each month. So act fast, schedule your complimentary session right now using the link in our show notes. Right, let's get on to the podcast, a powerful one here. I wanted to give you a heads up, Curtis Woodhouse here, does use a racial epithet to describe the treatment that he had as a child. And I left it in just because I think it's quite powerful in terms of underscoring the adversity he came through to write this incredible story of success and achievement. But please uh, keep your ears tuned for that early on in the conversation. If it's, if it's not for you, try and turn it down, skip over it, whatever it might be. And he uses a couple of swear words later on to underscore emotions of certain situations in this captivating narrative of his, which was a former professional footballer played in the Premier League, pictures of him playing against David Beckham and then became a professional boxer and won a British title no less and now is training in boxing, he's been a football manager and he is starting a burgeoning company, it starts Monday as well, self-development company. So here he is, without further ado, the one and only Curtis Woodhouse. Curtis Woodhouse, welcome to my podcast, Sport and Life. Good to see you. How, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Ed. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. It has been a while since um, you've been kicking around Sky Sports and everything. It's eight and, a, eight and a half years nearly since you beat Darren Hamilton for the British title as well. It's flown by, hasn't it? Still got fond memories of that, I'm sure. Yeah, it's crazy. It's my life. You know, as you start to get older, you know, I always look back and think, how does time go so quickly? You know, eight, eight and a half years ago. Um, seems like a lifetime ago, but when I, when people always talk to me about football and boxing and why would I leave football to go into boxing where there's no money, da, 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 this, that, or the other, I always say to them all the time that whenever my name comes up, it always says Curtis Woodhouse, former British like welterweight champion. You can't put a price on that. No, and it also says professional footballer as well. I think you played what highest second tier championship football, but I, I wonder if you could have got to the Prem if you if you've not had a boxing career as well. I, I played in the Premier League, Ed. Yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about yeah, what played, when was. I played in the Premier League at Birmingham City. 
Yeah, I mean that. I mean that's the dream, isn't it? To be fair, for a lot of people, but to professional boxer and British champions, the other dream. Liam Smith said to me recently that he was, you know, world champion boxer, but his actual dream was to to play for Liverpool at Anfield. <laughs> so he he kind of didn't didn't realise his dream in a weird sort of way. He was saying, but for you, that's the, like a lot of boys out there, young lads. That's what you, you've completed two dreams. I mean, that's amazing. You talk about time flying fast, but you you utilised it. You must reflect on that with pride. Yeah, my dream was always to be, well, my, my similar dream to Liam. My dream as a young kid was always to play for Liverpool and England. You know, my big hero growing up was John Barnes. Um, he was my first hero, really, that really fascinated me, was John Barnes. And I always wanted to, you know, I was football crazy. Boxing was never really in my life. I used to watch all the big fights my, with my dad. My dad was a big boxing fan. You know, I was brought up watching Frank Bruno, Mike Tyson, Nigel Benn. I, I, I was so lucky. I was in a great era. You know, Eubank, all them guys, they were the ones that I used to watch. You know, they were live on ITV at the time. Um, but boxing was never anything that I ever thought that I'd want to do. Um, yeah, I was always football mad. It wasn't until probably 24, 25-ish that I thought, well, no, before that, if I'm going to be honest, probably at 22 years of age, mm. I knew that, knew that I didn't want to play football anymore. And I just hung around because I didn't I didn't know anything else to do. I'd not done anything else in my life ever. I left school with no GCSEs. I, did, I, I wasn't in business or anything like that. All I knew was football. Um, so at 22, I realised I don't want to do this anymore. What the hell am I going to do? And the only other thing that I really enjoyed at the time, uh, I met Gary Daru, mm. former featherweight British champion. When I was playing for Peterborough United, I met Gary and started doing a few pads with Gary and and uh, then we started doing a little bit of sparring and I just got the bug. I got the bug of combat. I loved it. Um, and yeah, and, that, and I got to, I think I was about 25 at the time and decided I was going to retire from football and give boxing a go. And I remember Gary sat me down, <laughs> he sat me down in his living room and he put something like 101 worst knockouts on. <laughs> and he, yeah, and he was like, listen, he said, this game is brutal. It's a really vicious, tough sport. Um, he said, you know, get some more sparring in before and have a good hard think about it. He said, I'll set some sparring up for you. Like, okay, great. So Gary brought down four or five lads that he trained that were about 14 years of age that came, turned up at the gym in those school uniforms. I remember thinking, bloody hell, guys, I'm a grown man. I'm going to kill these. <laughs> Literally half an hour later, my nose is all over my face. I was getting beat up by these 14-year-olds. <laughs> and I think Gary tried to deter me from it, but all that did was, was make me want to do it even more. Um, is that something in the basement, is it? That, that's that You said combat. Is that you think some of us have that in, in us? Probably not me, but, but you obviously had it in you that you relished that, that, that kind of warrior aspect to it. Yeah, I was always fighting as a, as a young kid. I don't know if I can say this or I can edit it out or whatever, but my next-door neighbour, but one, had a black Labrador called Nigger. So... Oh. Well, that was kind of the area that I grew up in. You know, I was I was picked on every day. I can imagine you know, going out in the living in, in the in the front garden. You know, I was called names and everything. So I was always fighting. I'm five foot six now, so I've always been tiny. Probably my first hundred fights, I lost via knockout. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> it wasn't fighting. It wasn't something I was really good at. You know, I was tiny. I used to get beat up all the time, but I was always game as a badger. You know, I was always have a right good old go. And in the end, people just stopped beating me up because it was like, oh, I can't be bothered with this kid today because he's just going to fight back and I can't be. No, no one actually likes getting hit back. Mm. Um, so I realised very early that 
you know, I was willing to keep going and going and going until. So it was a rape, it was a, it was a pretty hostile place, was it growing up? Because this is in Yorkshire. What it was, um, it was racist, pretty pretty virulently racist. Oh yeah, I mean, I was I was born in a place called Driffield in 1980. Um, so it was there was no other black people around apart from our family. You know, my dad was born in 1956, and you know the the racial abuse that they had to go through was that disgusting. Um, and I was kind of one of the first generations of mixed race kids to kind of come around. Um, so we get called all sorts, you know, um, the usual, to be honest. And it was, yeah, it was pretty bad. You know, the only, the only other people that kind of had to <clears throat> bounce back on was me, my brother, my sister and my dad. And my uncle Carson, who was my dad's twin, who, who lived up the road. Um, but they're, they're the only black face I ever saw. And the racial abuse we used to get was... Uh, was vile to be fair, and it was con- it was consistent. It was every day, um, all day, every day. So we never really got away from it. And the only way that my dad knew how to settle scores was with his fists. Mm. So that was what he said to us. He said, "Listen, if anybody ever racially abuses you, you fight them, and you keep fighting them until you've got no more air in your lungs." And that was kind of how we were all brought up. I took it a little bit too far and became a boxer. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, that, that was, that was, it was kind of, you know, you do that or, you know, you're just not going to survive on, on the estate. It was as simple as that, really. And it's, it's interesting. Do you think we're getting to a better place in society now? Do you think that people are less judgmental of, of superficial things like skin color and class and background, all that kind of stuff? Is it, is it changing? Yeah, I think so. Like I said, my, my dad was born, uh, born in 1956 was, was, uh, my dad was actually adopted. If you look at my dad's birth certificate, his name is Bernardo's. Tufik Woodhouse. He was mm. raised, well, he was left on Bernardo's doorsteps at six weeks old, put up for adoption, and then was moved to uh, Bridlington um, in the north of England. And the abuse that they got was horrendous. And then I come along in 1980, it was still bad, but nowhere near as what it used to be. A lot on the national front around in the 80s, you know, Britain was mm. quite a, a difficult place for, for black people. And I think as time's gone along, it, it's absolutely got better. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And it's, it's, a, it's a challenging one as well. What do you say to young black lads, dual heritage, white, black parents, whatever it might be? Because we're, we're fighting for justice, aren't we? But what you don't want to be is, is a victim, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It's easy for a white guy to say that. What's your message to, to young black lads now? It may be more difficult, but keep fighting, keep, keep pushing. I always say to, to, to everybody, and I'm kind of at the place where... Skin colour, racism, it, it all, um, everyone from deprived areas, really. The, the, the situation is money. It isn't a lot of times the colour of your skin. If, if you've got a different colour of skin, you've just got another thing to deal with. I always say to everybody, the, the best way to cut through everything or a big chunk of things is be successful. You know, you go and be successful and be a shining light to, to anybody else. And racism doesn't exist the more successful you get because you can become a commodity to a lot of people you can help a lot of people um it's it's normally you know black and white people have got a lot of things in common poor black and white people again have got so much in common and if you're from that demographic where you're poor you're black or you're white you're gonna have struggles the best way to combat that is be successful you know get out there work be successful start a business or get into sport i don't know whatever it is but you get out there and, and you shift your ass and you're going to be successful and i think if you do them things you know it, it, people don't look at you in a in a derogatory way 
if you're poor and black, people call you different names to what they would when you're rich, successful and black. That's yeah. just my opinion. And that's yeah. what I've found, you know, since, since I've been successful in life. Um, and, you, so, and you're a powerful example as well, aren't you? I think that's the thing. If, if someone feels defeated, feels the, the bottom of the rung, that someone like yourself, as you say, not only becoming a boxing champion, but becoming a professional footballer and playing in the most prestigious football competition in the world. I mean, that, that, that shows it's possible, doesn't it? And I know it's not possible for everyone because you had rare talents and rare mental gifts as well to do that. But it, it's a glimmer of hope. And I think that's one of the reasons I started the podcast, Sport and Life, is because through sport, we can see inspiration. Even as, even as you say, it could be for a, to start a business. It could be another area of life, but that kind of setting goals and, and realising success. Yeah, 100%. You know, sport has completely and utterly changed my life. You know, if I if I didn't if I wasn't involved in sport, I got no idea how my life would have would have would have panned out. And I suppose that's the same for, for a lot of people. And I tell all kids, I do I do a lot of talks in schools and in prisons, um, and to a lot of young kids. And I tell them all, get involved in sport. You don't even have to be any good. Like everyone I I will speak to today in, in some capacity, I will have met through sport. My friendship group is all through sport. You know, uh, the I'm, I'm with my football team later on today. I'm training the, the lads in the boxing gym. My life revolves around sport. And, and I, I tell my kids all the time, be involved in, in any capacity. You get yourself involved in a team sport and be a part of a community. You know, it helps with your mental health, your self-confidence, you know, your friendship group. It's just the greatest thing on the planet is sport. And I will try any sport. I love sport. People always say to me, God, is there nothing you can't do? And I'm like, <laughs> apart from football and boxing, I can't do anything else. But people just assume that I'm brilliant at absolutely everything. I'm, I'm really not. Well, where do you stand on nature nurture then? Do you think you had a gift, that, an athletic gift, or do you think it was something you just honed because you spent a lot of time playing football and you spent a lot of time in the boxing gym honing that craft as well? A, a bit of both. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was, when I was born, I was quick. I was always fast. You stick a ball at my feet, I could dribble past people. You know, I didn't, I didn't, um, that was a God-given talent that I got given. The, that's the easy bit. Mm. The hard bit then is then can you transfer that and get through all the pitfalls that comes with that and turn that into um, a career? There's so many people that have been, that are mild, that have been miles better than me, especially in boxing, that never got there. But what I managed to do, and I, I actually spoke to Rich, Rich Poxon a few weeks ago when we were talking about boxing, and, and he said, you know, the biggest talent that a lot of fighters have got is staying on the ladder. Mm. Don't, throw, don't throw yourself off it by not living right, by partying, by drugs, booze, women, all them things. Don't throw yourself off the ladder. Stay on it. Live right. Live clean. And that's, that's, um, that's probably what I did better than a lot of people, especially as a young kid. I was so determined because I knew I had no other options, you know, from the, from the, the place where I was, my household was um, a scary place to, to grow up. And I, and I knew from a young age, very, very young age that I'm all in here. It was football for me or there was nothing else. And I knew, you know, I wanted more out of my life than what I looked around and saw. I knew I've, I've always been quite attuned to what's around me. And I knew very early, I've got to make some here, otherwise it's game over. So I was desperate. How, how, I know there's, there's probably a lot of desperate people who don't do what you did. And how, how important was your focus and your belief? And I guess since we've been, since we've grown up, distractions have got 
even more common, haven't they? You think in the mobile phone culture for people who are distracted at school, distracted in their sport, there's a lot to, to focus on that's perhaps not self-improvement, isn't there? Is that, is that key, do you think, just focusing on a goal where you're going and, and like you say, staying on that ladder? Yeah, I think a big thing for me is I loved it. I yeah. absolutely loved it. And if you love what you do, you know, nothing else gets in the way, does it? It doesn't matter if there's mobile phones, there's parties going on, you know, there's the the, the hottest girl in the class fancies you and wants to, you wants to go to the used to be roller discos back in my day, you know, but there was none of that got in the way for me because I love football more than I loved anything else. So when it was football training on an evening, they could be giving away a million pound up the road for everyone who went and knocked on this door. If you knocked on the door, you got a million quid. If it coincided with my football training, then I won't be going anywhere. You know, so I loved it. And I always say to everybody, find something you love and love it hard and you'll be successful at that thing. If I had Einstein as my maths teacher, I still want to pass maths. I had no interest <laughs> in it whatsoever. <laughs> but if you put a tennis racket in my hand for six weeks, I'd probably be a decent tennis player, you know, because yeah. I love sport and, and that's that's my thing. And I was in love with football massively. And when I look back at my career, you know, it, I, you say I lived the dream, but I didn't. I underachieved massively in what I should have done, you know, um, because that love ended up going over time. But at, at one point in life, no one loved football on the planet more than me. What what happened, mate? Why did you fall out of love with football? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I've been asked this question a million times and I've always answered it differently. You know, I found the transition from playing football as a young kid, loving it. I didn't even think of like, anything like contracts or anything like that. I just, I just wanted to be John Barron. I wanted to play at Liverpool. I always dreamed of scoring the World Cup, uh, the winning goal in the World Cup final for England. That was what I went to sleep dreaming of. Woke up, went in to go and practice it. Used to have in my head when I was dribbling, Barnes, Barnes. <laughs> scored the goal and all that commentating. I used to do all of that. The, 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 Brazil, the, the goal against Brazil that he scored in, what, 84? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, somewhere along the line, I got lost. And a, a thing that came into my life, which I've never, ever experienced before, was money. And all of a sudden, I started earning, like, crazy amounts of money. Um, and then all them distractions you spoke about that I didn't get involved in on my way up, I got heavily involved in when I was in the thick of the action, you know, going out, partying, women, alcohol, missing training because I'd, I'd just been out and things like that. And before I knew it, my mind had, had gone, my focus had gone, my talent was obviously still there, I was still young, but I could never get back on the ladder, you know, like what Rich told me, I've, I've chucked myself off that many times, the more times you chuck yourself off, the harder it is to get back on, and just along the way, I completely lost my way, and it's, it's, a, it's a big regret for me, um, to be perfectly honest. Do you, th do you think the money in football has become a problem at the lower levels, the fact that academy players can become almost secure? to the point where perhaps the motivation dims, depending on what your motivation is. And, and as you say, the distractions become ever, ever present. You talk about the class of 92, don't they? Beckham, Neville, Giggs, they didn't have it. Like they were cleaning boots at 17, 18. Yeah. Is it, do you think there is too much money lowered down in football? Does it does it complicate matters for, for young kids? Yeah, probably. You know, like what uh, like what Naz used to say, it's hard to get up in the morning and do your run when you're wearing silk pyjamas. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it, it's, the, it's the same thing, isn't it? You know, and... I've got so much admiration for them guys that are top level, earning top money and stay so focused to their craft. You know, it's a real special talent that is. And you know, you know what, Ed, I think a big chunk of that is nature. 
you know, we spoke about nature and um, a natural talent. Yeah. I think a big, big part of um, remaining level-headed is your background and your upbringing. Um, I was brought up in absolute carnage and chaos. So that was my life. And, you know, I, I was living on my, ho- my own from 14 years of age. Wow. My mum and dad split up and uh, my mum moved away, my brother and my sister. And my dad used to work away Monday to Fridays. So my dad was away Monday to Friday. He used to come back on a, on a Saturday. He used to work on the door Saturday night. And then we used to go to football on a Sunday. So I was doing everything you do in the house on your own, own cooking, well, trying to cook. I used to have, the, used to have these chicken legs that I used to put in a deep fat fryer. Oh, wow. Pack, yeah, this packet rice. And that's pretty much what I had every day. Um, but but I your, pro- that, your protein. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that phase in my life, was difficult but also changed my, my mentality so mm. when I, I became very very difficult to manage by any manager I was certainly in the bracket of unmanageable because nobody could tell me anything you know because I'm doing it my way and that's that because my way has so far made me survive hell so you can't be telling me anything I'm gonna I'm gonna get through this how I get through this and, and I think that that had a damage effect on my career you ask every manager that's managed me and they will probably tell you I was unmanageable because I wouldn't do anything I didn't want to do. Neil, Neil Warnock said you, you were sneaking around boxing, weren't you? I think, he, didn't he call you into his office when you were at Sheffield United was that and he had a black eye and you say you hadn't been boxing? Yeah, I used to dip <laughs> in and out of the, the Ingle gym um, and things like that. But yeah, I was, I was all, wherever there was a fight going on, I'd want to see, if, I want to test myself, see if I could, I could do it. Um, so yeah, I was always, I was always up to it. I just, I just love fighting. I still do. I really like fighting. I think you're, a, you're a parent, Curtis. Are you? As well. I am. I've got three kids, and, and and I'm a parent as well. And I think this is a challenge that we face. And I had a, a lot cozier, more comfortable upbringing than you. I'm very grateful for that. My old man was a doctor. Mum was a social worker, and and they were around a lot. But you do worry as a parent, don't you? That as nice as you make it, there's that little bit of adversity that your kids need. How do you, how do you look at that? Because you are the person you are. Because of partly because of the adversity that you face. It's a, it's a challenge, isn't it, as a parent? Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I've, uh, I've got there in the end with myself. I'm 42 years of age now. I'm, I'm, no, I'm nothing like the man I was at 18, 25, even 30. I'm a completely changed man. Um, my eldest son is 19. My daughter's 16 and my, my son's 10. And I look at my kids and think they're exactly how I should have been how I wanted to be, how I would love to be. A lot of credit has to go to mum for that. Um, mm. She does a lot of the uh, the raising of the kids, but I look at my kids, they're polite, you know, they're, they're, they're all hardworking. They're just great kids. And I look at my kids and think, that's how I wanted to be, you know. But with that, I wouldn't have been what I am. So it is a difficult one. My, my kids absolutely lack that edge that I had. But you're also speaking to somebody, by the time I was 26, had been arrested 21 times. Wow. So I, I would never want my kids to go through that. So if having a comfortable upbringing like they have has turned them into the people they are now, then I'm so grateful for it. And I think that that's my duty. And I say to everyone that's successful, your duty is to make sure that your family or your family's family's family get a better start to life than what you did. That's, that's our duty. Of course, they miss that little bit of, 
Can I swear on here? Am I allowed to swear? You can swear. You can swear. Yeah. I mean, I, I might leave the. You said the M word earlier. I might leave that in just because it's it's my podcast and it's actually powerful. I think that that's what you, yeah. you grew up with. But yeah, you can you can say a swear word here if you want. A warning: yes. swear, swear swear words coming. Turn off now if you're listening. <laughs> so what what my kids do lack is that little bit of fuck you. Mm. You know, they, they certainly lack that. Um, yeah. But again, they're amazing, kind generous people where i was a bulldog growing up so i look at my kids and there's so much better people than i am so i kind of feel like that i've we've done a good job i don't want my kids to be out fighting and and going out and getting picked on and feeling they have to fight and fend for themselves living on their own at 14 you know struggling mentally you know i don't want i hate my kids to go through that so i'm glad they're in a brilliant place what they'll get from you is is certainly a work ethic. And what I look at your story, and the reason I covered boxing, I've never boxed myself, but what I've been inspired by being around fighters at any level, whoever has the bravery to get in there, is that courage to do that. And I think your decision to leave football is really courageous on a number of levels, isn't it? Because as you say, the financial security you had with football, the affluence you could have had, the dangers of going into boxing when you're you're not talented and skilled in that at that, at that stage. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of unique in this world. I remember thinking about it at the time when you made that transition, because even now we're talking about the live golfers going to Saudi Arabian golf, because even though they're millionaires, they're getting more millions. Anthony Joshua is fighting in Saudi, which people are questioning the human rights record in the country because he's getting more money. He'd still get millions in this country. So people often choose money over, over maybe their heart, what they, what they want to do. And they also choose, like you say, football's, institutionally in the UK a dream so that has to be the dream for you to walk away from that and have the courage to do so I think is a big thing do you reflect on I guess with pride on on that on that courage you show to, to do that yeah you know you know what Ed, I, I know this this is going to sound like I've got a huge ego when I say it but I'm only being honest you know I always felt growing up I was going to do something special like I said I always thought I was going to score the winning goal for England in the World Cup I always thought my career would be one of Steven Gerrard's, you know, dominating Anfield year after year. I always thought I had some sort of greatness in me. I really did. Um, and then I retire at 26 and my last game is at Grimsby Town. Mm. No disrespect to Grimsby, but my dream wasn't play, to play for Grimsby Town in front of 1,500 people against Leighton Orient on a Tuesday night. That, that wasn't my dream. So going into boxing and saying I was going to win the British title allowed me to chase a dream of greatness because I knew if I was to do that, it will never, ever be done again in my lifetime. For someone to play in the Premier League, the top level of football, and then to win a British title will never, ever be done. And it was a a pie-in-the-sky dream, but I knew if I did it, I'd achieve greatness. And I always thought I was going to achieve greatness. And And that, that was a big driving force for me. And when you fought Darren Hamilton in 2014, was there the belief, the key in, in that fight, do you feel? Because he had the, the longer history as a boxer, didn't he? Yeah, listen, I've got no, uh, I've got no qualms in admitting that if I boxed Darren 100 times, he'd probably beat me 99. <laughs> but I've, I've got no, no problems admitting that. You know, Darren was probably better than me in every single department. Um, I'm, a, I'm a believer in fate. I remember Dave Caldwell ringing me up and... Um, you know, at the time, I, I think I was old. I was getting on. I, I was way past, not way past my best, but I was on the slide when I beat 30, Darren. 30, 34, something like that, was it? Yeah. You had, you had a lot, lot of wear and tear on your body, though, I guess, across the sports. I, I absolutely did, yeah. Because of my style, the way I fought, and because I wasn't very good, 
I used to win a lot of fights by sheer determination. You know, you hit me twice, I'm going to hit you three times. It was that type of thing. So I did have a lot of wear and tear. I've, and I've been in some great fights, you know, that have not been shown on, on Sky. Some absolute... Big, big names. Derry Matthews, Frankie Gavin, Willie Lemon, some big big name boxers you fought. Yeah, yeah. Like, but the, the ones that... that um, you know, the small hall ones that people don't get to see, all the ones you mentioned, yeah. they've all been on Sky Sports. So yeah. it goes out to a bigger audience. But I've been in some absolute wars in, in the small hall that really, really take, that took quite a quite a bit um, out of me. So by the time I got round to fighting Darren Hamilton, I was on the slide a little bit. My punch resistance was starting to go. That's one thing that I'd, that I'd noticed. You know, I was struggling like mad to get down to 10 stone. I was always tough, you know, I've never, ever been down in sparring, ever. And I sparred loads of rounds with Kel Brook, um, wow. loads of rounds with, with Ryan Rhodes, loads of rounds with Ricky Burns. You know, I've sparred some really, really good fighters, never, ever touched the canvas, ever. So I was always tough. Um, and I boxed Dale Miles for mm. the, and I'm going, I know I'm going around the houses here to get to Darren Hamilton. Yeah, it's good, but, it's good. Yeah, but I boxed Dale Miles for an eliminator for the British title. Dale was about six foot. He was like a big old lump. And I seen him at the weigh-in. I, I always used to struggle to make 10 stone anyway. I seen him at the weigh-in and he looked horrendous. <laughs> he looked like he'd re he was so drawn and sucked in. Um, and I'm going to swear again, Ed, but I'm just yeah. quoting myself. I, I went head to head with him after the weigh-in. And I said to him, I'm going to fucking break you in half tomorrow. Oh. And I'll, I'll never forget, Ed. He just laughed at me. Did he? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I remember turning around thinking, God, does he know something I don't know? Yeah. And I remember walking to the ring the next day and I was in the home corner and the fight was at the Magna. So I came out second and he was um, he was in the opposite corner to where I was. It was like a hundred yard walk. He'd grown. And he had his top, he had his top off head. And I'll, I'll stand up, see if you can see me. And he was still in the corner. Yeah, you can see me. Yeah, and he yeah. was just like this. And he was bouncing like this. I could see like... He, chest and everything. I remember thinking like who the hell is that over there <laughs> and when I, when I got into the ring I realized oh my god that was probably why he was laughing and we had an absolute war it was a right and he hit I've never been hurt before in a fight ever mm. and every time he hit me I could feel like an electric shock like I'd been tasered <clears throat> it was horrible um, in the first round that he broke my nose I sat down in my corner and I thought my eye was closed but it was wow. actually my nose that was under my eye. And, and in the second round, I got a double fracture of my cheekbone. And the third round, we just went backwards and forwards. And he, he stopped me in the sixth round. Um, like, I hit him with a body shot. Great yeah. shot. And he, he sunk in and went back. And I went to go and unload on him. So I knew I didn't have long left in this fight. Like I said, I was, I was, I was getting wobbled all the time. So I kind of went to go and finish it. The next thing I know, I'm in the dressing room. And I said to Ryan Rhodes, like, what happened? Yeah. And Ryan said, oh, the, the referee stopped it. And I and I went, hey, yes. Wow. You concussed. And yeah. I thought I'd won. Because yeah. in my the only thing I remember is me hurting him. Yeah. And then the ref, Ryan said the ref had stopped it. So I was like, oh, thank God for that. Whoa. And uh, Ryan said, oh, yeah. I said, Ryan said, oh, you, you went down bad, mate. He says, uh, he said, I don't know how you got up. I got up at like eight. And the ref waved it off, thank God. Otherwise, something bad could have happened. But when I watched it back, it was like I'd just been shot by a sniper and wow. I was down heavy. Um, and ever since that fight, I was not the same. 
and that was I think that was like two years before Darren, Darren Hamilton. Mm. Um, I wasn't the same. I was I was getting wobbled in sparring by people I'd been sparring with my whole career. You know, I was getting shook up in sparring. Every fight after that, I was I was always Ch- felt ch- like changes you, doesn't it? Changes your body, changes your mind. I guess, yeah. Mind more than anything, Ed. I went into every fight feeling vulnerable. Whereas you you flip that to the other side. I used to go into every fight. Listen, I I always known I wasn't very good, but I always knew I was tough. And if we can get right down to the nitty gritty, I'm going to grind it out and I'm going to beat you. But when that vulnerability came, that used to really change my mindset. I always used to think I'm 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 in I'm in trouble here. And I you know I always used to wear Cleto Reyes gloves. Yeah. You know, puncher's gloves, yeah. little tiny gloves. After that, I used to wear bigger gloves because I didn't trust my punch resilience anymore. Uh, to, block, to block the shots, yeah. To, yeah, to, to make the impact of the shots a little bit less because I had no, no, I didn't have no confidence, but I just knew I wasn't the same fighter. And I, lo- I lost that fight anyway, and I think that put me down to 15th in Great Britain. Wow. And um, and then I think I was in the top, I was about 7th or 8th ranked, and if I'd, have, if I'd have won that, obviously I'd have gone on to fight for the British title. So it knocked me back. Um, and then just circumstances happen, don't they, Ed? Like I said, about, about fate. Um, Eddie Hearn had signed Luke Campbell. Mm. Luke Campbell's from Hull. Yep. So they were they were building him in Hull. Um, and they had a venue in the he boxed at the Craven Cottage, the Hull KR Rugby Club, which I was on that undercard. Um, and then he came back and boxed at the Hull Ice Arena. Yeah. I was on, I was on that undercard. Was that and Tommy? Was that Tommy Coyle fight? Was it? Or yeah, he boxed Tommy Coyle at uh, Hull KR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was seven and a half years ago today. I think. All right. Seen on social media. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, so I boxed on three of Luke's undercards when obviously Matchroom were trying to build him, and then Matchroom signed Darren Hamilton. So Darren Hamilton won the British title, defending it twice. He needed to win it one more time to win it outright. There was a show on in Hull. They're looking to fill the undercard. Darren can fight anybody in the top 15. Who's 15th? So they ring me up um, <laughs> and offered me the British title. I said, where's the fight at? And they said, the whole, um, the whole ice rink. Now, the whole ice rink is probably a 45-second walk um, from the whole Royal Infirmary where my dad died. Wow. So when you talk about things being aligned and faint... Mm. I, like I said earlier, if we, me and Darren boxed 100 times, 99 times he'd beat me. But I knew going into that fight that this was going to be my night. You know, I'd put too much into this. There's too much on the line for me to come up short. So I knew that Darren would have to, you know, do everything he could to even have a chance to, to beat me. I knew I was going to win that fight. Well, you did, you did win it. It was, it was glorious scenes. And I think you won it deservedly on the split decision looking back at it. And it's funny that that was a Luke Campbell, Olympic gold medalist, his, his ascent through the sport, because I don't really remember it being a Luke Campbell night. I remember it being you against Darren Hamilton and my mate and co-host on the old Toe to Toe podcast, Spencer Firon was Darren's manager. And he had that little, the, the, the banter and the kind of war of words with Dave Caldwell, which was brilliant as well. And it's, it's really one of the most powerful boxing memories for me as a journalist over the last 10 years. It's, it's, it's remarkable. I know you boxed a little bit after that. You've, you played a little bit and you've managed football. What are you up to now? Because you, you're still sort of dovetailing boxing and, and football a little bit. Are you? And you've got the, when not when Monday comes, that's, a, that's an old Sean Bean film, when Saturday comes, is it? It's, it starts on yeah. Monday. Is that the company you've got at the moment as well? It starts Monday. Um, so I, I set up, a, I set up a health and well-being 
company in lockdown, really. So the, the first lockdown for me was brilliant. I had my 40th birthday. The, the weather was great. Yeah. You know, backed out doing work. So I kind of felt the break came for me at a great time. Um, second lockdown, struggled like mad. Hit me pretty hard, the second lockdown. And, um, and yeah, I found it quite a difficult period. Um, and I remember putting on my Twitter, put a little bit of weight on as well, Ed, like all us Xboxers yeah, yeah. do. Well, I think um, I did, yeah. Yeah, I'm no longer in and around right well to I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> Not what, what, but, 140, yeah, it's a bit. A bit of a yeah, them days, them days are gone. But I put on my social media, um, oh, I could do like getting fit and losing a little bit of weight. I've um, I've set up like a little WhatsApp group. So we're in lockdown with me and, and uh, uh, two friends of mine just to encourage each other. Da, 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 da. One week later, I tweeted, oh, I've been training for a week and I've lost five pounds. I'm buzzing. Um, so loads of people messaged me saying, how oh, have you managed to do that? So I said, well, pretty simple, really. You know, I'm in a calorie deficit. I'm training. I've got accountability of the two of the people in, in, in the group. And, you know, we're just helping each other along. So someone sent me a message saying, God, I'd, I'd love to be in a group like that. So I said, this is all on the open forum of Twitter. So I said, well, jump in our group. I, said, I didn't know who this guy was. He's from London. I said, jump in with us. There's only three of us, isn't it? You know, you're more than welcome. So I said, send me your um, mobile number. And I'll add you to the group now. So he direct messaged his mobile number. I added him to the group. And it was like half past 10 at night as I went to bed. I woke up the next day. I had 192 direct messages. Wow. All saying all saying the same thing. Like, how do I get into this group of yours? So I'm like, well, we, haven't really, <laughs> we haven't really got a group. But yeah. that's how it starts. Monday started. So we, we initially set up a group of 25. Um, 25 is now, well, yesterday, 7,011. Good for you. Um, but yeah, that we've got all over the country, all over the world. You know, we've got three people in Tokyo. And you got um, nutri- you got nutri- you do nutrition, mind coaching, the, the physical yeah. side of it as well, training. Yeah, so within the groups, we have two PTs where we deliver live Zoom classes three times a week. Uh, we have a fully qualified nutritionist that sets your food plan up, make sure you're eating the right things at the right times. And we have a mental health ambassador there in, in well, which does um, weekly Zooms with everybody or um, speaks to people individually if you're not comfort, comf- comfortable speaking the group setting. So, you know, our, our strap line is mind, body and soul. So anything that, that covers that, we're, we're here to help. And I think because of lockdown and there's so many people out there struggling, it, it's proved to be really, really, you know, popular. And, you know, I don't, don't say this lightly, but we've we've helped and saved so many people. It's unbelievable. Some of the stories that have come out of it starts Monday are heartbreaking, and just to be a platform to be able to help is um, is something that I'm I'm really really proud of. To be honest, it's powerful. Good for you, and good to have that that business focus as well. I, I, I've kept you a long time, so we'll, we'll wrap up in a second. But quickly, tell me as well about this this young boxer you sent me some brilliant footage of. Seventeen year old, yeah. six foot six inch. Seven, well, no, I was working out the uh, the mass from 100 kilograms, just under 16 stone, isn't he? But he's, he's presumably growing and he's, he is light on his feet. He can move. Yeah. Adrian, the next king. Remember the name. The, <laughs> the kid, you know, we just spoke about my story there. The kid's got an unbelievable story. Um, and, I, and I said to him, you know, again, be successful. And his story can inspire so many people. The kid's got, the kid's got the world in his hands, Ed. You know, he can, he's only been boxing a few months. You know, like I say, 17 years of old, age, six foot six, 100 kg, can punch like a mule. His jab's fast, razor sharp. 
He reminds me so much of a young Lennox Lewis. Yes, he, I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, he, he reminds me so much of him. And I honestly think, I don't want to put any pressure on Adrian, but I honestly think he'll be the heavyweight champion of the world. And I think he'll do it, I'm not talking about really quickly, but he'll be young when he does it. Because I think in, in five years' time, when he's 22, I just can't think of how good he's going to be. And he'll still be an absolute baby in heavyweight terms. And I've told him he'll be the heavyweight champion of the world. You know, see it, believe it, achieve it. And I think he's going to go all the way. Yeah, he could be halfway to his prime. I mean, he could be prime 33, 34. That's phenomenal. Uh, Curtis, where can we find out about It Starts Monday and, and follow Adrian's stories? Well, I'll try and get him on the podcast. I have to ask his parents, I think, for permission, but we'll, uh, we'll try and get him on. But, um, well, I, actually, if I can, can I just quickly talk? So I, I actually got a call um, off somebody saying, I was training Adrian, just me and him in the gym. Yeah. And I got a call saying that I needed uh, parental um, permission for, for just me and Adrian in the gym. Um, in, in case obviously oh, wow. for the yeah and I said I'm not being funny but yeah I don't I won't be able to do anything have you seen the guy I'm training he'll handle it <laughs> he'll handle himself yeah I've seen I've seen, yeah. seen the images yeah yeah I think he'll be absolutely fine um but yeah it starts Monday if you click on our website um www.itstartsmonday.co.uk or just follow my Twitter um <clears throat> at, at Curtis Woodhouse on Twitter I'm always talking about it on there, sharing people's stories on there. And if you if you feel you need any any help, you know, we're there. Just drop me a direct message and um, we'll add you to the group and try and help, like I said, mind, body and soul any way we can really, Ed. Well, good for you, Curtis. It's a powerful story. You've got, you already had a powerful story and you're continuing it. So I love it. Thank you for your time, mate. We'll, we'll speak again soon. My pleasure, Ed. Great to see you, mate. Big thank you to Curtis. Wonderful. His inspiring story continues now with It Starts Monday. Check that out through Curtis Woodhouse's Twitter. I'll put his Twitter and I'll try and put a link to It Starts Monday as well if you do want help in any of those areas, nutritional, mental health coaching, whether it's physical stuff as well for those personal trainers. And what a powerful story. And it's this conundrum that, isn't it? Is it adversity that we need? How much adversity to be successful? It's too cosy a life not there i mean i moved around a lot as a kid and that was a sense of adversity being a new boy at school and i think that's helped me though meet people in new situations so it's just very challenging isn't it to figure that out and unpick that all but really appreciate curtis's time cannot believe i forgot that he played for birmingham city in the premier league and knew that all my life but slipped me at the, the point of recording which is a, a good note for future journalists make sure you always do your prep even if you think you've known known someone's story in and out but thank you to him thank you to you for listening please rate it on itunes if you enjoyed the podcast any constructive criticism received well hopefully by myself try and keep that ego in the cage thank you also to the sponsors bang olufsen of cheltenham and serene av specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations if you're interested in looking to optimize your immunity try the supplements at cytoplan head to cytoplan.co.uk c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk there is a 30 percent discount First purchase, 10% thereafter with the code DRAPER10R. My last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Remember to check the show notes for that link to the free mentoring session with Anthony Asprey. Very generous of him to offer that to our podcast listeners. He is at the Whole Man Academy, a lead founder and lead coach. And if you go and check out an interview I did with him on the podcast a few months ago, Anthony Asprey, you will find out more about what the Whole Man Academy does and see whether that session may be for you. Well, thank you for listening to the podcast. Another uh, avenue that we're exploring as a, a business at Draper Media is, is Attic Box Audio, where we 
document people's life stories, members of the public. If you're interested in that for you or a loved one, check out atticboxaudio.co.uk. Otherwise, have a, a great week and, and thank you again for spending time listening to this because so many options in this world of ours in 2022, isn't there? Hope you're having a good summer of your Northern Hemisphere, winter of your Southern, and I'll speak again soon. Bye-bye.